Hey, what's happening out there, Liberty Lovers? This is the Scottish Liberty Podcast number six, you lucky people, and it's the 7th of July 2016, and you're here with me, Tom Laird, and my co-host, Anthony Samaroff. Well, there's been a lot in the news this week, and it really was actually quite hard to pick topics for this week, because there's just so much stuff. Yeah, it's like, it's like buses, you know, you wait for ages for a good story to come along and then like about a hundred come along at once. Well, there's been backstabbing all over politics in the last week or two and I think a lot of lying being in, exposed. <laughs> lying in politics? I find that very easy to believe. That's the, that's the game. So first of all, Clinton's lies... Clinton's lies. Were they self-pitying lies or self-aggrandizing lies? She lied about not sharing classified information with dear, the nation. Dear. I came across a really great clip on Reason.tv okay. of someone splicing together the findings of the inquiry on yeah. her criminal lies, which are worse than what Richard Nixon did. Really. Okay, yeah, I could believe that. So... They spliced it together with her statements and it shows blow by blow that she's lied. So here are the lies. I did not email any um, classified material to anyone. There is no classified material. 110 emails in 52 email chains have been determined by the owning agency to contain classified information at the time they were sent or received. I provided all my emails that could possibly be work-related. Several thousand work-related emails that were not among the group of 30,000 emails returned by Secretary Clinton. I thought using one device would be simpler. She also used numerous mobile devices to send and to read email. There were no security breaches. It is possible that hostile actors gained access to Secretary Clinton's personal email account. It was my practice to communicate with State Department and other government officials on their .gov accounts. The hostile actors gained access to the private commercial email accounts of people with whom Secretary Clinton was in regular contact from her personal account. Um, no doubt that we've done exactly what we should have done. They were extremely careless in their handling of very sensitive, highly classified information. People will be able to judge for themselves. We cannot find a case that would support bringing criminal charges on these facts. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. To be clear, this is not to suggest that in similar circumstances, a person who engaged in this activity would face no consequences. Americans will find that, uh, you know, interesting, and I look forward to having a discussion uh, about that. And she was married to such an honest man no. as well. <laughs> At best, she's grossly incompetent. At worst, she's a barefaced liar. Yeah. But the thing <laughs> is, it doesn't really matter because America has a very partisan system of government. Yeah. So they're go people are going to stand by their man, or in this case, woman. Mm -hmm. I think it's quite clear uh, there exactly what she did and what she said and what she didn't say. Uh, it's extraordinary. I plumb for a liar as opposed to an incompetent. There might be a bit of both. But this is a woman who famously misspoke before. Can you remember she misspoke about 
come, uh, flying into Sarajevo under sniper fire. She was under sniper fire, apparently. Turned out to be a complete and utter load of tosh. But she didn't lie. She misspoke. So she's obviously misspoken again. Why is this not a national scandal? Why is she not incarcerated already? Why is Bernie Sanders, even during his campaign, why did he not make hay with this? Well, ostensibly it's so that he's not running a dirty campaign, but I think he sees the Democrats as his team. Any sort of dredging up dirt to defeat Clinton in the primaries would have reflected badly on her in her leadership race against the Republican candidate should she get the nomination. The fact is, Bernie could have gone to town on Clinton on her horrendous history of foreign policy. Yeah. He could have wiped the floor with her, but he refused to take the gloves off and say, this woman's a warmonger. Yeah, and she is a warmonger. I think she's far more likely to get American in another war than even Trump. Right. Well, yeah, I mean... I've seen bad things from both. Clinton has said we could obliterate Iran. In fact, I think she even said we could bomb the hell out of Iran, but I've not really been able to, okay. to find that clip. I'm sure I saw it once. Trump said he'd bomb the shit out of ISIS, which okay. is a bit like we'll declare a war on terror. Yeah. You know, yeah. when you say bomb the, bomb the shit out of ISIS, you mean bomb the shit out of Syria, don't you? Having a candidate that's supposedly anti-establishment, yeah. like Bernie Sanders or Trump, gives legitimacy to the presidential debate. And people can always go, oh, well, if, if only more people knew, if only more people had voted for Bernie Sanders, then it would have been wonderful. Mm. If not, if they didn't have a Bernie Sanders this time, if they didn't have Denis Kucinich, who, by the way, I think has got a much better record on foreign policy than Bernie Sanders has, he's, he's a man that's too left for my tastes, but I think he's also a very integrous person. You need to have these people in the race. A Ron Paul, maybe, to, I, although he seems to be impeccable, having these characters in there keeps people invested in the game. Mm. If all you had were Hillary Clinton's and Jeb Bush's, then people would just divest from politics. They'd be like, this is a lot of nonsense. Okay, so it's to, it's to divert people's attention away from the fact that it is a pantomime, that it's wired. Are you, are you saying that it's practically wired, that we know pretty much who's going to be, and it doesn't really matter, in the end, who gets the presidential chair because you're going to get the same policies pushed through regardless. It's not what people talk about that's important. It's what people don't talk about that's important. Neither of the parties talks about ending the war on drugs. Neither of the parties talks about the Federal Reserve, the Federal Reserve ending corporate welfare. Even though these are things that the left and the right can probably agree on. Yeah. You know, but that doesn't get talked about. Instead, we need to talk about gun ownership. We need to talk about gay marriage and all these little peripheral things which the two parties disagree on mm -hmm. instead of focusing on what neither of the parties agrees on, which is not peripheral. It's essential. Yeah. It's integral. So... Having a so-called maverick up there who didn't say anything about ending the Federal Reserve 
or the war on drugs or pulling out completely of 152 countries exposing the lobbying scandal he know. was less bad on foreign policy but he wasn't excellent on foreign policy he voted many times to fund a whole bunch of wars yeah and voting to allocate funding to the war is as bad as supporting the war obama might have been against the iraq war but he voted to fund it every time denis kucinich mm-hmm. didn't he never voted to fund the war and sometimes denis kucinich and ron paul were the only people in congress who voted no on the same bills okay. even though you know one was hard left and one was hard right in the meantime we've got this chilcot inquiry okay yeah where blair's that is that still going on right <laughs> blair looked really scared uh, in an interview that i saw which surprised me because i thought he was the kind of person who's like ha ha nothing nothing bad can ever happen to me i'm untouchable but i fear that like this clinton inquiry where there was clear evidence that she lied and a wrongdoing the fbi came away saying that they couldn't indict her well if you're not going to didn't they arrest uh, snowden for for less they did i mean snowden's a whistleblower again a problem yeah. i have with trump yeah who said they killed the traitor really? snowden yeah. you yeah. know and don't get me wrong we'll probably do a whole show on clinton versus trump yeah when push comes to shove i think that trump's the lesser of two evils for this reason the anti-war movement disappears in america under democrats there was an anti-war movement right up until obama got elected obama has bombed eight muslim countries no anti-war movement it disappeared if trump tries to go to war there'll be massive pushback against that if clinton tries to go on walk to war there'll be crickets and that worries me i'm worried that clinton will try and finish what the project for the new american century people started putting in motion and that she will she will go to war with iran yeah i agree but back to this chilcot inquiry well, it's going to be the same deal we got whitewash we're going to have a whitewash here i think it's going to be a whitewash you don't have to be a conspiracy theorist to acknowledge that the 911 inquiry was a whitewash and a crock of shit now that doesn't mean that the government planned 911 maybe they were just trying to cover for the arses of the people who didn't do their jobs properly yeah. there was that david kelly thing yeah. that guy supposedly committed suicide under highly dubious circumstances the state does not prosecute itself then blair isn't really part of the state anymore and is it possible that they're going to make him the scapegoat for something much bigger they might nail his ass to the floor not not terribly badly you know they might wrap him on the wrists they might you know disgrace him he might not get invited to you know parties anymore i don't know but they may pin it all on, on tony blair yeah and that- as opposed to something far greater you know that was that was responsible for that debacle well that happened though i mean see the thing is if they do pin everything on blair will that not mean that they now have to make a full scale inquiry into everyone else who is involved well I, i i guess not i mean that would be the whole point of pinning it all on on tony blair unless he starts singing like a canary but i think these things work and whereas look we're going to pin this on you you're not going to have yeah. to do any time just play the game 
and it'll all be okay. Yeah, everyone else gets off. Yeah. Kind of like reminds me of Goodfellas when he gets sent to jail and then he's like, it's fine in jail. Yeah. And then he get gets on a witness. Or, or another similar movie by the same director, more recent, Wolf of Wall Street. Yeah. When he gets sent to jail, he's like, I forgot, I'm rich. And he has this big luxury jail. It's not that bad, but the thing is, it gets everyone, it gets the heat off everyone else's ass. Yeah. I think that's possibly the, the best scenario you're going to get out of this um, Chilcott inquiry. This is probably why it's taken so long as well, you know, because it's not fresh in people's memory anymore. So the, the kind of a lot of the angers died, a, died away. So now's the time to come and say, well, okay, Tony Blair, he kind of, you know, he was a bit over exuberant and, you know, a bit zealous, but he, his heart was in the right place, but he screwed it up. Yes, he sexed up the documents. Yes, he kind of misspoke about there being weapons of mass destruction. But at the end of the day, Saddam Hussein was a bad guy and he's gone, so something good came out of it. That's what's going to be the line, I think, at the end of this. That line is, of course, nonsensical because yeah. there's no jihadis in Iraq before the invasion. No. So in 2003, in the ramp up to the invasion in Iraq, I was at school. And even at the primitive form that the internet was at at the time, with no YouTube, I was still able to go on there and do some pretty decent research and came to the conclusion that it was a load of nonsense that Iraq had weapons of mass destruction just based on the history and based on what people were actually saying and the fact that Scott Ritter from UNESCO said that Iraq had been disarmed to a degree that had been unprecedented in contemporary history. You know, this is what the experts were saying. And I just thought, look, if I'm able, at school age, to do some reading and it be blatantly obvious to me that there was no weapons of mass destruction, these monkeys have to be lying or they're believing their own hype. And there was a great documentary that came out a little while after called Why Do We Fight? I think it's still probably on YouTube, even though YouTube didn't exist at the time and goes on into this and the fact that when you've got companies like Halliburton that profit from war it doesn't mean that they're going to go to war just to get their profits let's say but it does create a tendency or they at least wouldn't have the same resistance to going to war as they would if they didn't have skin in the game yeah so, well, I guess we'll just wait and see what the results of this Chilcot inquiry will be exactly. But we, we're putting our money on whitewash. I'm putting my money on whitewash, but, you know, I put my money on Brexit not going through, and it did. So, okay. you, you never know. So, uh, watch this space. So, back to the domestic front again. Bit of backstabbing going on. Yeah, a lot of backstabbing going on. I was just thinking, because you said they might pin it on Blair, well, someone who has definitely received the Julius Caesar treatment. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, poor old Bojo. Yeah, and uh, Corbin. Oh, Corbin, yeah, Corbin's really, yeah, infamy, infamy, they've all got it infamy, yeah, as uh, Kenneth Williams has immortalised. Who, who do you think's got it worst? I mean, who, who's, who's got the most stab wounds in the back, Corbin or Boris Johnson? 
Well, Boris got it from Brutus. Right, okay. Whereas Corbyn got it from just about everyone under the sun. Yeah. Right. So, Michael Gove came out against... What a weasel. That's the thing. That should be the end of his career. Yeah, I think it will be, to be honest. Politics. Yeah. I know everyone goes, oh, they all cheat their expenses. Oh, politicians are so corrupt. But at least ostensibly, it's meant to be about character and reputation. And people used to say they were a family man. And yes, I'm a Christian. Mm. And people wanted people of some ostensible moral fiber to lead. Now, when someone stabs their mate in the back so publicly and someone that they've worked with for a considerable amount of time in close quarters it's just people shouldn't be able to survive that in politics people should say you're just a nasty piece of work not that I particularly would have favoured Boris Johnson for Prime Minister you know the only British politician I can think of that I want as Prime Minister uh, and I'm I'm not even a statist, so the least worst would be Daniel Hannan, and he's off. Yeah, in he's, Europe. he's off limits. He's, yeah, he's, he's in Europe. Yeah, well, Boris Johnson. What I, what I don't understand is why he threw down so easily. I'm beginning to suspect that he was he didn't have the self belief uh, to be prime minister that he came across as having prior mm-hmm. to that. I mean, what what, what motivated Gove? What really motivated him? I mean, is he just, I mean, forgive me, is he just pussy whipped? Mm-hmm. Is this Sarah Vine, uh, you know, telling him, you will do this? Is this her? Is, this, is she Lady Macbeth? You know, we do, do, let's keep the Shakespearean thing of, going a here. A lot of is, Shakespearean. Yeah, is, is Sarah Vine just Lady Macbeth? Did she honestly see her spineless goon of a husband? I mean, I, it's really bizarre with Gove because I've never really taken to him. Uh, he's undoubtedly quite an intelligent guy. I thought, okay, he's for Brexit. Maybe he's got some integrity. And then he goes and does something like that. Such a, a, a blatant act of treachery. You know, and you think, what a friggin' weasel. And it, he didn't even... What did he gain out of it? What did he gain? So I don't understand it. And also, at the same time, I really don't understand why Boris threw in the towel so quickly. And now we're left with... You know, suits full of bugger all. I mean, not uh, not even suits, but skirts full of bugger all. Oh. Yeah, I'm sorry, what but what you were saying, be- what you were saying before about Michael Gove is basically bros before hose. <laughs> that's that's kind of not what I'm saying. I don't want to come across that way at all. Uh, I mean, there's there's a lot of there's there's, there's women in the. I mean, I, I I was a big fan of Margaret Thatcher. Um, uh, yep, you heard it here first. Uh, I was a a fan of Edwina Curry's. You know, I still am. I so it's nothing to do with uh, bros before hose. I, I just don't. I think just meant that you said he should have stuck with Boris over his wife. Ah, right. Okay. Yeah. Well, well, maybe. Yeah. Maybe. Maybe so. Maybe so. If indeed she was behind it and she was Lady Macbeth. But I think the upshot now is we have uh, a race between two candidates. One is uh, Ledson. Uh, Andrea Ledson, who I've done a bit of research on it, and she seems, from my point of view, to be a, a better candidate than Theresa May. Do relatively not, I, unknown. Relatively probably. unknown. I don't think she's got any charisma. I don't think she's got. Any, I don't think she makes. She might not have leadership qualities, but I think she's definitely got some integrity. Although that remains to be seen. Theresa May, on the other hand, I think is a Blairite twat. Right? She is basically Tony Tony Blair. 
in a skirt and a Tony Blair and drag, if you like. I think she's a leftist in terms of you know conservative politics. I think she's a. I don't think she's a feminist. I know she's a feminist. She done an incredible uh, volte-face. At one point, she was against all women shortlists. Now, apparently, she's for all women shortlists to try and get uh, more women into the cabinet, more women in, in power. And I think she's she's quite dangerous. And she's certainly, as a libertarian, she certainly poses a danger to freedom of speech, and she poses a a, a, a real threat to personal liberty, with the Snoopers Charter. I mean, this is a woman who basically believes you'd lock people up for saying nasty things about Islam or anything else, for that matter. She's the kind of person who would who would have you arrested for saying nasty things about her on Twitter. She sounds like she's in the wrong party, except on this... Absolutely. I think she just joined the wrong queue and ended up in the Tory party. Yes, but one policy which I think is quite right-wing was she was advocating leaving the Charter of Human Rights, which entitles you to fair trial, habeas corpus, and so forth. But don't we have that ingrained already in our own common law? Perhaps we're meant to. Okay. What I would say is they parade these abusers, whether it's some Islamic imam that's come here and said hate speech yeah. or some like right wing bigot or and they say oh these people we, we can't send them home because of the human rights charter right yeah. and what they don't realise is that's the tactic that human rights charter is there to protect you and it's completely analogous because this is what really annoys me sort of right-wing people are always going, oh, this human rights charter is stopping us from being able to, like, torture bad people or whatever they think is right. To me, it's completely analogous to the left being like, why does America, should America go by this document that's over 200 years old called the Constitution? What they don't understand is the Constitution is there to protect them from the government. Right? The government's ostensibly there to protect them from other people, and the constitution is there to protect them from government. And all these liberal intellectuals who say, oh, the constitution is so archaic, are useful idiots. And these right-wingers who are like, oh, we need to get rid of this charter of human rights, I think they're also useful idiots in exactly the same way. It's all about eroding our real rights, which is, you know, your life, freedom, property, due process, and replacing them with this entitled mentality, entitlement mentality, which is the war of all against all. Well, okay, I mean, the, 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 as far as I'm, I know, the Charter of Human Rights, isn't that something that, that's, that we, uh, some sort of treaty that we entered into with the United Nations? Isn't that a United Nations thing, or is that a European Union thing? I think it's a United Nations thing. Okay, then I'm again it. Um, You're against it. I'm against it. Not because it, it may very well ingrain. Okay, well, first, first of all, what's a human right? How does it differ from an individual right? Um, I don't. I, I've, is that a rhetorical question? No, I, I really. I mean, I'd, I'd really like to know what differences there are between something that's a human right. As soon as you start talking about human rights, it seems to me that you start to get into entitlements rather than what is basically an individual right, liberty and freedom. 
Okay, is, is having a television a human right? No, but those are things that need to be taken away from other people. You know, Anne Rand said that any right that involves taking a right away from someone else is not a right. Yeah. But this document, what it guarantees people to is a right to free trial, freedom of expression, freedom from discrimination. Okay, we can talk about that because that might be a civil libertarian issue. Yeah. Freedom of association, which I guess might preclude freedom from discrimination because how can you be free to associate if you can't discriminate? Freedom of thought, freedom from torture, right to liberty, protection from servitude, in other words, it makes slavery illegal, yeah. right to effective remedy, I don't really know what that okay. is, protection from retrospective punishment, in other words, if something isn't illegal when you do it, but then becomes illegal, you can't then be prosecuted for it, the right to privacy, and the right to life. So, broadly speaking, it looks like it's a good document. In an ideal world, I'd rather we didn't have any government or any documents we, that we didn't need them, that these were arranged by private contract and we had some form of decentralised government that wasn't a state. But while we do have states, I think it serves us to have, in writing, documents that protect us from the abuses of government. So well, well, I don't know. I, th I, think, I don't think there's anything in that that's not already it's not already in Magna Carta. It's not already in common law. You know, I think I think it's a, a swindle to suggest that we need to get involved in some sort of treaty with other nations to honour these things. I mean, we have them. We have them already. And instead of saying... I mean, okay, where do you, you know, now we're the United, we're at the United Nations level, right? And so who are we relying on there to enforce these? Instead of just saying as a society, we're sort of saying amongst ourselves, look, right, why did we sign this treaty? Didn't we have this stuff already in our own law? Then if we didn't have it in our own law, it's high time we did have it in our own law. Why did it need the United Nations Charter to do it? And that's my problem with that's my problem. It's my problem with the UN. It's my problem with the EU. We can have we have these rights and liberties already in our common law, and I think we'd be would be better served trying to enforce that and try to keep government to that. Okay, why not then just have a bill of rights, a UK bill of rights, which would replace that and say exactly the same thing. And it wouldn't, uh, it wouldn't tie us in. I would be completely for that, but that's not what Theresa May is proposing. So she, you're suggesting that Theresa May wants to deport, wants to get out of this treaty so that she can start deporting undesirables, no. i.e. people who, who are, in her view, seditious. Not that she can, but she's, she's probably got that kind of attitude of like, you know, well, if you do a bad thing, then you get whatever's coming to you which is a stereotypically right-wing attitude. Now, that's fine. That's all well and dandy, but you can't trust that whatever government is coming along in the future won't abuse that. Yes, I think that it's high time that the UK had a constitution and a Bill of Rights. I know the Magna Carta is meant to serve as one, along with two other documents, yeah. but I think it would be good if they formalised those three documents and we got a constitution and a bill of rights. In the meantime, I wouldn't 
be a hundred percent comfortable with having what few official documents are meant to protect us from the government being eroded. But no doubt our listeners will decide, and maybe someone will school me okay. on the true details, and I'll come round to your position. Unless you've got anything to add. Not really. I, I just think even with the existence of this document, it hasn't stopped America mm. from completely violating it. It hasn't stopped the UK. You know, rendition, for example, that that really hasn't uh, guaranteed anything. You know, it just seems to be a document with which we beat other smaller countries round the head with enforce them to comply, where when it suits us, uh, we drop it. So I think there's a lot of lies on both sides. Uh, I don't see why you just can't deport somebody anyway. No, me neither. Especially given that it costs so much money to imprison someone here, I think that particularly if you immigrate to this country, if you commit a crime like rape or murder or an act of terrorism or planning an act of terrorism, if it's a severe crime, then we should be able to deport you. I mean, Abu Hamza may well be entitled to a defence and a fair trial. Is he entitled to state uh, funds in order to pay for his lawyers or team of lawyers? Well, is anyone entitled to state Well, probably not. No, I don't think They might be entitled to them under the law, but under natural law, it's theft. So perhaps there's a whole programme even on the human rights bill. And is it a good thing, bad thing? Yes, Should we get that rid of would be it? good. And, okay. of course, our listeners will tell us yeah, what, what, what they'd like to hear about. Okay, so we're done with that shit. Where are we going now? I just wanted to say a little bit more about Corbyn, because it seems to me... Yeah, he's had the Julius Caesar treatment as well, yeah. It seems to me that the Labour establishment would rather have a Blairite than a socialist. And they're meant to be a socialist party. Now, I'm... But there are those who would argue, especially socialists, who say they haven't been a socialist party for at least 20 years. Well, they never were, really. I mean, they were always imperialists, for example. They've always been an imperialist party, an interventionist party. So they've never been hard left. The thing is that Corbyn, I disagree with him on economics 100%, but he's a man of integrity. He was excellent on foreign policy. He gave a couple of really great speeches, and I would really like to see a leadership race where he gets his due and he gets to fight. Now, he might do badly, he might do well, but at least we'll get a proper conversation going of socialism versus capitalism, because I don't know the last time the Conservative Party actually defended capitalism. It seems to me that they're apologists. They're, they're at the point where they're like, well, you know, yeah, capitalism's kind of bad and we probably need to regulate it and stuff, but it's the best we've got. They're not out there saying, look, capitalism is saving the world from poverty. India, China, the number of people severely poor in Cambodia is half. And these are the places where people were starving. Capitalism is responsible for the luxuries that we enjoy. The debate between capitalism and socialism is looked upon as a relic, something that belongs to the Cold War era. No, it's alive and well. We need to talk. We need to talk. But about hasn't the establishment basically embraced what they call the third way? What, which is public? 
private partnership yeah. or the worst of both worlds. Yeah. Yeah. So we have a, a kind of ostensibly uh, capitalist system. Which isn't very capitalist. Which isn't very capitalist. The state controls the money supply and the interest rates. So if there's no free market in money, then there's no free market period. Yeah. So uh, Corbyn, I don't know, I don't like, I really don't like his politics. I certainly don't think that he's right when he compares Israel to ISIS. Uh, if he did, no, he did. If, it, if indeed he did say that, um, so I think he's wrong there. There, there could be issues in in, in that uh, degree as well. I think he's been a bit too close to some uh, people on the on the the radical left and radical Islam in the past as well. And if there is going to be that debate, debate between socialism and capitalism, I'm not so sure that Corbyn's necessarily the man to do it, you know? Okay. Uh, I think he's just happier being that guy who's on the back benches, being able to say what he wants when he wants, rather than, than being able to lead. I think constitutionally, and somebody can correct me on this if I'm wrong, constitutionally the Labour Party... It's there. If he doesn't have the support, constitutional support, of a majority of his constituency MPs, then he has to go. Okay. I think that's in the Labour Party constitution. It doesn't matter what the grassroots... Yes, you have to have grassroots support, but if you don't have the support of your constituency MPs, you have to go. And how would it be workable? How is it going to be a workable situation? And he's got a cabinet now that's basically like a fourth forum debating society mm. you know he's promoted people way beyond their uh, their capabilities because he, he just doesn't have yeah, anybody doesn't anymore have that he can surround himself with so it, it's not it, it just doesn't seem to be workable it seems to be all over bar the shout but he just won't go I don't know whether he's right or whether he's wrong to do that perhaps it's good that he stays in place and destroys the Labour Party maybe if the Labour Party splits Maybe the Tory party will split and maybe eventually we'll get a, a breakup of this monopoly, this third way monopoly that, that, that's in, in British politics at the moment. Maybe it's better for, dare I say it, better for democracy. Maybe it's better. I don't think it's going to be better for liberty. Mm. So Who's good for liberty right now? <laughs> Out of them all, the only people who are making any kind of noises are Douglas Carswell, who's still in UKIP. He may cross the floor again back to the Conservative Party. If I don't think they'll have him, because he's, he's all alone. He's the only UKIP MP, and I don't think he even agrees with his own party anymore. And, as you said, Daniel Hannan. You know, and us two. And, and us two guys. Uh, but I don't think Andy's going to offer us a cabinet post <laughs> anytime soon. So it's interesting times. I just... I think regardless of whether Theresa May wins or Ledson wins this, this, this competition, I think it will be a good thing in a way that the second female Prime Minister in this country also came from the Conservatives or came from the right, because the left, with all their their talk, their big talk about equality, their big talk about sexism, all their, uh, you know, all female shortlists, they still haven't produced uh, a female prime minister. Yet, the Tory party, who's supposed to be, you know, the antithesis of all that, you know, produced a female prime minister at a time when you had the Monday Club, when you had all these crusty old guys who just like were practically told Margaret Thatcher to her face that they weren't going to vote for her because she was a woman, and yet she still managed to do it. 
you know, which is why she could boldly say she owed nothing to women's lib. I think Theresa May is certainly no uh, Lady Thatcher. Uh, she just doesn't have that capability. I don't trust her. Don't like her. Ledson is the one that I would, if I was absolutely forced to, out of the two that I would that would back. Yeah, she's so, the one that I'd back as yeah. well. Even though um, I don't consider myself to be conservative. But speaking about capitalism and liberty. Okay. There has actually been some news which is quite good for liberty. Well, do tell. I don't think it's going to be well met. George Osborne has declared that he's going to cut corporation tax, I think down to 15%, which is close to Ireland's, which is 12.5. And the lowest in the EU is Bulgaria, which has a 10% corporation tax. Okay. Now, what we can predict is people saying, oh, that's the Tories living up to the reputation. Yeah, the rich get richer, the poor get poorer. It's a handoff to big business. And that's really why I want to talk about it, because I want to talk about why a cut in corporation tax is good for everyone. Okay. Corporations don't pay tax, because there's no such thing as a corporation to pay tax. There's only individuals. Corporations need to factor in their tax costs as expenses. Yeah. So that is going to come out of people's standards of living in several ways. Yeah. So it's not like Mr. Starbuck, uh, you know, when they say, okay, Mr. Starbuck, you've got to pay 10 million uh, in tax. It's not as if he's got a big safe next to his bed that he goes in and takes that money out and then pays it to the tax man. He just passes that on. Yes. First of all, it can be passed on to the consumers in the form of higher prices. It can also be passed on to employees in the form of less wage rises or less spending on good conditions in the workplace. Shutting down branches. Yes. Even if it is taken out of the shareholders' pockets, which is what people really want, you know, a bit less profit for the investors and a bit more money for the government to to spend on social spending. There's no guarantee that that isn't money that they would be reinvesting, which would create new businesses and make jobs, or it's money that they're going out and spending, which is stimulating the economy. Mm -hmm. Even if they're just putting it in a mattress under their bed, that increases the value of everyone else's money who is Mm -hmm. still spending because it restricts the supply of money. That profit that's being allocated by people's purchasing choices that is getting cut off by corporation tax, that's pushing the money in the economy towards people who are good investors and can spot what consumers want and invest in businesses that are going to create what consumers want. So less money is going into investment in business, even if it does come out of the pockets of the shareholders, which isn't guaranteed. My other point on corporation tax is individuals pay tax on their earnings and then they spend what's left, whereas corporations spend and then they pay corporation tax on what's left after they spend. So this creates a massive incentive to put things through the business. You know, oh, I get a taxi, I'll put that through the business. Uh, instead of taking a holiday, we'll have a board meeting in Hawaii. Yeah. Right? It's actually a tax on the consumer. 
It is. It's another tax on the consumer. So you, you and I, mugs, after paying our tax, will pay the corporation's tax for them again when we buy the product. When we buy the products. And it encourages corporations to be wasteful and buy things they don't need. You know, uh, yeah. I was listening to Tom Woods and he was saying something like, you know, you go into these corporations and they'll have a lovely big reception areas with, you know, gold banisters and a fountain. And the reason why they buy those is because it's all right offable against tax, it's yeah. pre-tax dollars. So corporation tax is a con. It doesn't serve you. It's not taxing those greedy capitalists. It's taxing every one of us as consumers. The best rate of corporation tax is zero because you also have to factor in the cost of compliance with that corporation tax, the hiring accountants and lawyers to try and avoid the corporation yeah. tax, all the bureaucracy of checking who's paying their corporation tax and who it isn't in government, that's a complete waste of money. If you want to put a tax on consumption, which I don't agree with, but if you want to, a simple sales tax yeah. is the most efficient way to do it. But wait a, but wait a minute, Anthony, you know, let me just put my lefty hat on here. Why don't they just pay their shareholders a little bit less then, you know, instead of passing on their, their, their filthy, instead of passing on the costs of their tax to the consumer, why don't they just pay their shareholders a little less? Well, it's really not up to them whose pocket comes out of. It's up to market forces. Supposing it does come out of the pockets of shareholders. You do not know how many businesses are not getting started right now because some venture capitalist is looking at the expense sheet and going, well, if I invest in this, it's pretty risky. And when you factor in the amount of corporation tax that's going to be paid, it's not worth the risk. Yeah. You know, it's not worth the risk. It's that amount of money extra, which is a discouragement for people to invest. You should be encouraging people to invest in businesses, not taxing that, because they're not the only ones that are profiting. Every time a new business opens, they bring more goods onto the market which, by the laws of supply and demand, makes shopping cheaper. Right. You know? So it's not just the people who are profiting that are benefiting from investors. Everyone who is a consumer in the economy benefits from there being more shareholders, more investment in, in businesses. So celebrate, celebrate the corporation tax cut. I don't care if you're on the left or the right or you're a libertarian. Everyone should be celebrating it because it means better standards of living. Okay, so the boy done good, even, boy though, done a, good. even though we think he's a bit of a dick. <laughs> I think he's a complete dick. Okay. In this one issue, he's done a service. So you have one more topic to cover, and that's this piece on the Declaration it's, of Our Broth. It's uh, on the Declaration of Our Broth. This is a document I think is every bit as important as the Magna Carta or the American... Bill of Rights or the American Constitution even. I know that's a bold assertion, but apparently UNESCO agree with me because they've declared that, that this document is a world heritage document, if I could call it that, or it's a part of the of the world's memory. For those of you who don't know, the Declaration of a Broth is a letter, open letter basically to the Pope, written by Robert Bruce King of Scotland at the time. So this is thirteen twenty, after we fought the Battle of Bannockburn. 
and it's to try and get the Pope to recognise that Scotland is an independent, sovereign nation with an independent history, independent culture, independent law, and that we're not just a region. And at that time, the re a region of England. Edward I had asserted his overlordship of Scotland and the Pope backed him. Hmm. So therefore, uh, Robert Bruce was a rebel. All his subjects were rebels. Robert Bruce himself was excommunicated by the Pope. A lot of people think the excommunication was for the murder of uh, John Cummin. No, the excommunication was for actually being in rebellion to Edward I. So this was to try and get that rescinded and to get the Pope. And in fairness to the Pope, he did recognise that Scotland was an independent nation uh, for a time at least. This article's in the National. This the, the, the paper who believes in an independent Scotland, apparently. Uh, however, they back the SNP who clearly do not believe in an independent Scotland because we had Nicola Sturgeon running over to Brussels at taxpayers' expense, I have to say, to have meetings that she had no right to go and do. She had no uh, remit to do that. She just took it upon herself to go and do it and spend taxpayers' money. And the Spanish have, uh, have rightly said, look, look, we're vetoing this because we can't have Scotland uh, doing its own thing, otherwise we've got Catalonia to worry about. So they've got their own interests in that. But anyway, I think the SNP would do well to read this document because one of the things that it says is that if Scotland has a king or a leader right, you know, don't, let's not get caught up in archaic language that will not defend the sovereignty of its people then the people have a right to depose that leader and give and make for themselves a new leader who will defend their sovereignty this whole document was about popular sovereignty uh, and the SNP used to talk a lot about the Declaration of Abroth. They don't talk about it much anymore. One of the things it also says is, um, we, it is not for riches or honours that we fight, but for freedom alone. And for that, no honest man gives up but with his life. But apparently the SNP are telling us that it is for riches because we'll be a lot better off mm. in the EU. It doesn't matter about sovereignty anymore. Uh, independence, well, you're not really an independent country. I think the SNP really need to read this document again and hang their heads in shame. So I'm glad it's been made uh, that UNESCO have uh, decided to, to honour us with uh, a memory of the world designation in the Declaration of Abroad. And with that, be libertarians. Don't be a lefty. Or a righty. <laughs>